0: Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to generate evolutionary thought and co-create new solutions. I'm your host, Kulda This hour, we'll be exploring the impact of childhood trauma on adult health. A fascinating topic as of late is energy medicine. While our traditional medical models have organized the human into segregated compartments, focusing on the physical and treating each category in a vacuum of sorts, recent approaches are becoming more holistic in nature. On the leading edge of this more holistic medicine is a concept that we're actually vibratory beings, our physicality forming around the frequency information provided by our genetic makeup. There's also evidence that our DNA is not only a frequency code, But this code can be disrupted by many things, including emotional trauma. It would follow that if our genetic code can be altered by trauma, it impacts the entire person rather than just the emotional realm, since the genetic code dictates the entire structure. Is the formation of our adult body impacted by frequency compromise obtained through childhood trauma? For that matter, is the disrupted genetic code passed on to future generations? Once a frequency code is compromised and with it the genetic information, what effect does it have on our physical health? Once compromised, can we correct the frequency or are we doomed to live with and pass on the damaged genetic coding? With us this hour to explore this fascinating topic is Nikki Gratrix. Nikki is the author of The Seven Steps to Healing Childhood Emotional Trauma, an award-winning nutritional therapist a bioenergetic and psychology practitioner and co-founder of one of the largest mind-body clinics in integrative medicine in the UK. She has spoken on over 20 online health summits and been the keynote speaker at live conferences internationally. She writes regularly for health magazines in both the UK and US. Her website, NikkiGraytricks.com. Nikki, thanks so much for joining us on the Science of Magic.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, we should have fun today. What is bioenergetics? Uh, bioenergetics is the study of energy in living organisms. And it's really governed by, the phys- uh, by physics rather than, than biochemistry. So it's everything to do with how, for example, vibration, light, uh, electricity, those kinds of things impact in, uh, the biology and, and sort of integrate with our physical bodies. Okay so how how long has the concept been around? Um many hundreds of years a long time ever since um early researchers started to sense that you know the the body was partly electric and when they discovered the nervous system and there were electrical impulses so even back then you could say that you know just just studying nerve impulses is a form of bioenergetics so yeah a long time <laughs> what what's your background in it? So I got interested in bioenergetics. Um, I have been involved for a while. Since about the last five years, I actually worked with a medical doctor. He was a, used to be a surgeon, and he was working with lasers, and he was doing laser-enhanced therapies. So a laser light is a phenomenally interesting area of, of uh, bioenergetics. Um, so, I originally worked with him, who's a medical uh, doctor, and I was looking at the impact of light on on people and uh, enhancing supplements with laser light. And then I actually trained as a bioenergetic practitioner with Ness Health, uh, run by somebody called Hari Massey, who co founded a company to test the energy field and use what he's calling infoceuticals, which are kind of like the next generation of homeopathy. Um, so, I've been working with bioenergetics for quite a while now. So I was um, in, introduced to bioenergetics a long
0: time ago as well. I don't, I'm not a practitioner by any means, but um, uh, biofeedback is also a form of it, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So that's a, that's being able to. Um, have have your body like connected up to sensors such as heart rate um you know breathing rate things like this so you can connect to those things become mentally aware of them and then calm them down through conscious thought Um, and as a form of biofeedback most certainly you can change your biochemistry you can actually increase your vagal tone the tone of the vagus nerve through those kind of biofeedback techniques as well yes so that's that could you could say that's one form of bioenergetics too
0: Okay. So it's basically reading the bioenergetics of the body and then giving you feedback as to what you're doing so you can become conscious of it?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's becoming consciously aware of things going on in your body that are usually under unconscious control of the autonomic nervous system. So things like digestion, breath rate, heart rate, obviously the that's below the level of awareness for most people but when you you by paying conscious attention to those things you can actually modulate them and biofeedback is a form of allowing you to do that by giving you the real-time data that you're observing it's just like meditation like observing thoughts and then you know calming the mind down you can do that the same with um, most biological markers you can do it even with your own brain waves through a process called uh, neurofeedback which is very similar to biofeedback except you're looking at activity patterns of the brain on a computer screen. Um, so again, it's these unconscious patterns that you can become aware of and then modulate through awareness.
0: That's interesting. It's like the yogis and the sufis and the shaman have been doing that for 60,000 years, right?
1: Absolutely. And that that's, this is one of the most exciting things is that every day there are mainstream studies coming out, either backing up what people have been doing for thousands of years in in yoga or actually showing how something like that works and and why for example deep breathing has such a powerful effect on calming the mind for example Um, yes and these some of the most powerful techniques that you can use now for some of the most powerful uh, life-giving health-giving techniques that we have came from 2,000 years ago, thousands of years ago, 5,000 years ago, when the yogis were doing them. so And all that mainstream science is doing is backing up, like, yes, that works, and here's how it works. Um, so, yes, it's very interesting. It's pretty exciting. What, what all studies are being done? Well, even studies like um, – there was recently a study, I believe it was out in Science, which is like the world-leading journal, looking at, you know, how does the breath – calm the mind. So we already know this works. We didn't need a proof of concept for that. But we wanted to know how is the, what's the mechanism? And it turns out that there are neurons in the brain, a little sort of po- a pocket of neurons that are literally observing your breath rate. And as you as the neurons are sensing your breath rate and for example your breath rate slowing down the neurons are getting the message that oh everything in your environment must be okay because you're slowing your breath rate down so then it sends a message to the amygdala and the other parts of um, the, the brain to say we're safe you can calm down and so <laughs> that's how it works if you start breathing fast and you're speeding up your breath rate this pocket of neurons observe that and go okay we seem to there's a problem we're on high alert perhaps there's a saber tooth tiger and that pocket of neurons then sends the message to other parts of the brain to, to trigger off the fight-flight response um, so they've actually shown you know where the neurons are that do that now that's just one example um, well, so it sounds like it
0: sounds like this is um, um, the mechanism by which you can control your own
1: adrenal response absolutely and this is one of the most powerful techniques most important tools that we have in terms of breath rate um to literally it's not just controlling the stress response through right from the brain downwards so it's one of it is one of the most powerful things you could do to control stress and stress is probably the most in uh, underexposed risk factor in health today especially emotional stress so uh, yes breath is fantastic it's um it would be a called a miracle drug if it it had this if any drug could have the benefits that you can get from doing regular deep breathing exercises so it's kind of reversing the direction
0: so uh the deep breathing is affecting the brain um versus chemicals going into your system like drugs that affects the body that then affects the brain so the brain affects the
1: body through breath or the body affects the brain through drugs Exactly. And there's a bi-directional relationship between the body and the brain, obviously. So there's like afferent nerves sending messages to the brain and then the brain responds, sending messages back down efferent nerves to, to respond to that. And um yes, yeah, so by doing deep breathing, you're telling the brain to calm down and then the brain responds to that and switches off um, the, the, the stress response. So it's, the brain works a bit like a a, um, a thermostat controlling heat in your home so you can sort of adjust it within a narrow band and, and you've got also conscious control over that too. So um, yes much more powerful way to um, control stress and learn to manage stress than than taking drugs. We have just a little bit left here in this segment. When, when did we get turned around backwards? I mean if it's so easy to control with breath, how do we forget that? I think it's when, unfortunately, I, I think it's when Big Pharma came along. And, you know, there, was some ama- there were some amazing discoveries through biochemistry, you know, when antibiotics came through. And you can imagine a time when these diseases were ravaging the world and somebody discovered, you know, antibiotics. Well, we're going
0: we're gonna to have to pick up on it on the other side of a commercial break. Nikki and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. Remember, you can always listen to past episodes free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. This is The Science of Magic with Wilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net.
3: Call 213 401 0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213 401 0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci fi radio programming anywhere, 24 7 365.
2: You have heard of the X Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand
0: Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Guilda Wiecka, and our guest this hour is Nikki Greatrix, the author of Seven Steps to Healing Childhood Trauma. Her website, NikkiGreatrix.com. Speaking of which, Nikki, let's talk about the bioenergetic impact caused by emotional trauma. First, would you
1: define emotional
0: trauma? Yes,
1: so this is one of the most important topics that we could possibly talk about when it comes to health. So, you know, emotional trauma, uh, there was a very important study done um, back. It started around in the mid-1990s called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Studies. That was abbreviated to ACEs, ACEs Studies. And they were surveying 17,500 adults. It was the CDC and Kaiser Permanente and they found absolutely stunning results now they defined emotional trauma into 10 categories so they were looking at um the 10 categories included things like uh, parents separating or divorce physical sexual or emotional abuse physical and emotional neglect domestic violence mental illness in the family substance abuse or incarceration by uh, a related family member. So essentially, if the child had experienced any of that before the age of 18, that would account towards one ACE. And essentially, they found with this gigantic study, which is one of the most important studies done in medicine, is that if you had an, a high level of exposure to ACEs, you had a dramatic increased risk of seven out of the top ten causes of death. If you had a moderate exposure, say six ACEs, you have a 20-year reduction in lifespan. Um, if you had just four ACEs, you had an over 400% increased chance of developing depression in adulthood, uh, Alzheimer's in adulthood, you were more than 12 times as likely to uh, be suicidal in adulthood. um, And it went across the board. And if you had eight ACEs or more, you had triple the risk of lung cancer, and three and a half times the risk of heart disease. So when we talk about emotional trauma, it's those kinds of categories. And, you know, just hopefully just demonstrated there that it's very important. Um, it has a huge impact on our health across the lifetime. So how many total of the ACEs are there? There were a total of 10 that you could get. They had 10 different categories and, you know, even just having four ACEs had a significant impact. Just two ACEs increases your risk of autoimmune diseases, um, by up to hundred percent. And they actually found, for example, that in women, the correlation of risk of getting autoimmunity after having childhood adversity in childhood is the same link as smoking and lung cancer. So this is one of the most underexposed risk factors for health today. Well, judging from your list, I'm doomed. <laughs> <laughs> Why, why am i still alive <laughs> okay so you know that's the point point. 67 percent of all the adults surveyed had had at least one ace so these are these are really prevalent and of those people who'd had at least one ace 80 percent had had more than one so this is this is epidemic levels and and we can talk about how that 67 percent was also an underestimate when we start talking about inter- intergenerationally inherited trauma as well so it's it's Almost everybody has had one or experienced one or knows somebody in their family or has potentially inherited the impact of trauma from a, from a parent or, or and so on. So, yes, very prevalent. It seems like, as I'm
0: sitting here looking at it, uh, due to the, the fast-moving pace of our society and everything else, it's getting worse instead of better. And then it's cumulative. Is that correct?
1: That's is correct, And that would be very unfortunate if we talk about it getting worse. Um, you know, emotional neglect, we're not an emotionally savvy society. I, I, and a lot of ACEs, adverse childhood events, are what we call silent ACEs. You know, there's obvious traumas. We call them big T traumas. Obvious things are things like, you know, being physically beaten, say, sexual abuse or rape. It's obviously something that physically happened. But most trauma in childhood is actually coming from what we call a relational trauma. They also call it ambient trauma. It's not one specific incident, and it's not always something physical. It's it's emotional neglect. Um, it's, It's emotional verbal abuse. It's having narcissistic parents. And this leads on to different kinds of symptoms in adulthood, and I would say there is an awakening going on about that. So very slowly, people are waking up and realizing, okay, there's something else. Not it's you know big T, It's not just about big T trauma. It's also this attachment and developmental trauma. So I'm hoping with that awakening that you know these things will start to be addressed as well. But it's it's a slow process, um, unfortunately. <sighs>
0: Yeah, but sometimes things have to get very obvious before you can start working on them, you know. and that's what I mean by getting worse. It's become cumulative over so many generations, and now we're starting to look at it and go, there is something awry, because we're seeing uh, tendencies in, um, say, for instance, um, uh, um, races races that have gone through like the Holocaust or the Trail of Tears, that now they're starting to show a very consistent uh, damage that's passed down to those that aren't even, have, weren't even involved in it. Have you seen that, and can you explain it?
1: Yes, yeah, so that's very important. And This isn't a new concept, this idea of intergenerational inherited trauma. So anywhere where there's been a big war or there's been famine, you will find, for example, the third generation survivors of the Holocaust victims have the same psychological and physiological expression of the impact of trauma as their grandparents who were in the Holocaust. And you see it in parts where, for example, where the Khmer Rouge, you know, um, had influence where there was famine in Europe and so on, and you know that this may seem strange, but even mainstream science um, is is backing up that it's totally possible. So, for example, you can they've done mice experiments where a traumatized male mouse, they found that the RNA expression in the sperm changes through the trauma, and if you inject that sperm into healthy, untraumatized female mice. The offspring still have the expression of the traumatized male mouse, so we can rule out bad parenting because mum was healthy. But still, the offspring have, have had uh, are still traumatized. So you're talking about, you know, trauma affects through epigenetics the expression of the DNA, and that the DNA doesn't go to zero and start from scratch. That ex, that DNA expression gets passed to the offspring. So the DNA itself is not changing; it's the expression. And this is how we have environmental influences being inherited. So it's quite extraordinary. They've done experiments with certain animals showing that memory in, um, has can be inherited and it's passed down 20 generations, for example. So something that happens, you know, to your great, 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 you know, whatever happened, it's imprinted on the DNA expression and it's passed down 20 generations. So that's mainstream science proving that too. So it
0: looks like then that the trauma or the traumatic genetic information becomes dominant.
1: It certainly continues unless it is addressed. Yes. So and we certainly we are I guess we're a very traumatized society on the whole, especially, you know, consider in Europe where there's there's been the two world wars and um, there's still a lot of accumulative trauma going on right now. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm afraid. <laughs> so this, this also kind of
0: gives an interesting thing. You know, people talk about past lives. Well, maybe it's not a past life. Maybe it's just this passed down trauma that we're reading again and I, again and again.
1: Yeah, I think that's the closest, you know, without talking about past lives, because you can't do that in all, in all circles, talking about intergenerationally inherited trauma is the closest that you get to showing that at least in your ancestral bloodline, um, that there are certain influences going on in that bloodline, and when you look at trauma patterns, they often do get passed down through behaviour and through, you know, the DNA expression as well. So yes, I, I think if you, it's certainly pointing very strongly in that direction.
0: Now my background is in shamanism, and shamanically there are methods for healing past life trauma. So basically, what we're doing is creating an, an energy correction at the uh, genetic level, wouldn't you say?
1: Uh, absolutely, and that when we start to heal the impact of trauma, we need to clear the imprint at the energetic level. I most certainly, uh, in in my experience as well, absolutely agree that there's there's an imprint on the energy field that needs to be corrected at that level. To heal from trauma, you need a multifactorial approach. So you will want to address the physical body, um, you want to address the nervous system, the brain. Um, but you also want to address things at the energetic level as well. So, if you want to reverse the impact of that trauma and get to the root cause, then you need to correct the imprint as well.
0: yeah that's just amazing to me. It's like we're we're coming full circle. the The shaman have been doing this for for eons, and now we're bringing it into modern medicine and recognizing what was actually going on there.
1: absolutely. And uh, you know the mind and body are truly one thing. It's amazing how true that is so an imprint going on the energetic level is just the the body is an outward expression of that Um, and both the brain and the body have this really it's not even a bi-directional relationship when that trauma happens the whole organism responds um, down to the cellular level at the brain level at the endocrine level at the immune system we have this cascading shift at every point in the body it's it's like the whole body is responding to that stressor, and it's also imprinted at the, the energetic level as well. So it's the, it truly is we are one thing. Is you cannot re- reduce us down to be the, being the mind or the body. And and then you take it one step further. If we're all connected energetically,
0: then it cascades into the community as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. This this aspect of um, The impact of other people. I mentioned most trauma is actually relational or ambient. It's to do with the relation of the child with their primary caregivers. It's all about other people and the impact of other people. And there are gigantic studies showing that the quality of your social relations and the quality of how connected you feel in your community is a greater predictor of basically survival, than things like body mass index, whether you smoke or not, your, your, you know, your blood sugar levels, you know, the, the quality of your social relations. So fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. We're going to have, this is, this is something
0: I really want to pick up on the other side, but it is time for another short pause. Nikki and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break, so don't you dare go away. Don't miss all the wonderful things we offer on our website. Your resource for creative solutions in a changing world TheScienceOfMagic.net This is The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka on the X-Zone Broadcast Network www.xzbn.net Welcome back. This is The Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. If you enjoy all the wonderful topics on our program, visit my blog, where the adventure continues, at our website, thescienceofmagic.net. I'm your host, Bulduyeka, and we're speaking with Nikki Greatrix. Nikki is the author of Seven Steps to Healing Childhood Emotional Trauma, an award winning nutritional therapist, bioenergetic, and psychology practitioner. Her website, NikkiGraytricks.com. Nikki, we were getting into how what these studies are showing, and these are some pretty impressive studies done by mainstream medicine at this point, I understand, is that the um, effect of our environment as we grow up and the emotional realm of those around us is more impactful on our health than all the other things like smoking and diet, etc. Is that what you
1: were saying? Yes, absolutely. So it was a landmark study of 300,000 participants. It was published in 2004 and it showed that social support was a stronger indicator of survival than physical activity, body mass index, hypertension, pollution, alcohol consumption, and even smoking 15 cigarettes a day.
0: Good heavens. So, well, that explains my father's longevity. <laughs> With what you eat, why are you ninety eight years old? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, we, we've we've dramatically underestimated, I call it the impact of OP, other people. It's it's the most important really factor. You know, the giving, exchanging, or lack thereof of love. Um, you know, ultimately, love is is medicine, and when that is withhold from withheld from a child. Um, that you know that child if you if you can feed a small child nutrition and if they don't get um, held love and attention and emotional love they will get failure to thrive syndrome they will go on to develop you know autism and they they don't their brains don't develop develop properly they're shorter and that this was proven in the romanian orphanages so we've dramatically underestimated the impact of you know, positive social relations in, in childhood and both in adulthood as well.
0: Yeah, it affects in adulthood too. I mean, I, if you're around people that are supportive of you and encouraging you and think the world of you, you tend to be more and, and come, come to a greater um, expression of your natural abilities than if you're not. Um, I've seen that a lot. And so how much does to have to do with the childhood? Can we overcome Uh, The lack in childhood, if we uh, are fed in adulthood, if you will.
1: Absolutely. So, this is very important. Although in childhood, you know, our attachment relationships, the bonding with our key caregivers does tend to set up that imprint of who we attract in adulthood. We've all seen, you know, the, the friend who keeps attracting the bad guy or the guy who keeps attracting, you know, abusive romantic relationships with women and so on or with their main romantic partner. You will usually find somebody like that has had a narcissistic parent, one or the other or both. Um, and these so that you know these types of patterns do get passed down. so there's there's this it, this sort of um full intervention needed again, where you'll want to address that at the imprinted level. Um, At the energetic level, but you'll also want to address that, I would say, even through kind of the biochemistry as well and and lifestyle factors and cognitively to become aware of that pattern, that you're running that pattern. And through this multifactorial approach, you can absolutely overcome that and repattern the brain, the neural pathways, the imprint to attract healthy people into your life um it comes a bit of a shock when people many people are just they don't even know the patterns that are governing their life until things keep going repeatedly wrong and then they finally go wow I, I, something's happening here something's going on i'm attracting you know i seem to just have conflictual constant conflictual relations so yes that's that's a flag to go okay what's the imprint that's gone on with my parents and my family and what you know how can i change that and what do i need to do about it and you can it starts with cognitive awareness and then there's many tools to help reverse that so you're talking about when
0: you keep doing the same old thing in the same old way expecting different results uh, the same thing keeps happening and you're the common denominator right
1: <laughs> yes that'd be right you know i to, to a degree we do create our own reality it's just that some of the The patterns that are governing our life are quite unconscious to us, especially these sort of um, these traumas that are imprinted very deeply at the energetic level. Sometimes we can't see how they play out until we've, you know, lived as an adult for a while. And then when usually it's when things aren't going our way that we start to go, hold on a second. Either we get a health condition and that's there's printing around that or, you know, we keep attracting conflictual relationships or we're having trouble in success in some area of our life. That's when you need to stop and say, okay, is there something that I've, you know, inherited here a pattern that has been passed down to me. And the brilliant news is, is that you can stop that pattern for your entire ancestral lineage. And that's an amazing thing, because if you address that in, in yourself, you're not going to pass that on to your children. Um, so that's a great incentive for people to address it in this 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 lifetime. <laughs> you know,
0: um, if we can... I'm going to get a little esoteric on us here. <laughs> but if 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 we consider that time is not linear... Does addressing these patterns and changing the uh, distortion in our frequency through different modalities change not only the situation for our descendants, but those of our ancestors as well?
1: Well, in my belief, I believe it's so. Obviously, um, I couldn't show the science behind that yet, but you know what this is like? What we know intuitively is being proven by science, usually (laughs) decades later. But I personally do feel that, you know, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. So and I think that when you start to address the, the imprints, it's not only is it changing, you can change past events, um, which change how you are experiencing the present. It also changes your relations, if, especially if you're healing something that involves a family member. That also impacts that family member, whether they're alive or not. So it's amazing, isn't it? It's like um, and also what I've seen is, is when people
0: start to heal energetically, they change how they remember their history
1: as well. That's it. Exactly. So there are certain techniques and tools that where you you can change the perception of the event. You accept maybe what happened um, back then, but your perception of it can be completely reversed. Um, and, you know, there are certain techniques like uh, matrix re imprinting, for example, which is a type of an extension of EFT, the emotional freedom technique, where it's literally a tool where you you take somebody back in their, in, you know, imagine them to take them back to the childhood and to the certain events that happened. And you reimagine a new sort of um, outcome. And you then literally imagine imprinting that on the field 360 around the body and it's sending it out to the universe. And, um, people can feel amazing with that kind of re-imprinting work. Um, and I think it's, it's often missed in, in things like EFT, which is trauma release work. It's only half the story because we, we need to actually change the imprints. So you can take the trauma away. That's half the healing. But you also need to change the imprinting as well. There's another aspect
0: is I've seen people uh, go into total denial around something that happened and their memory of their par- their parenting is everything was happy, happy, joy, joy, and yet they're dysfunctional. Um, it seems like the other side of the coin there. Uh, so does that mean that they have
1: to first look at what really happened and then reframe? Yeah, that's a gigantic issue. That the whole issue of disassociation, uh, uh, this is epidemic, and all the therapists working in this area are you know half the issue is is having people you see one of the things when a trauma happens often especially if you're a highly sensitive type um, it's too painful to experience it and and you can't process that's what trauma is it's something which is pretty horrific at the time it's too much to process so it gets packed away um stored away in the energy field and also it's reflected in the nervous system as well and that's where the biochemical changes hit too and essentially you know, that gets stored until you'll have, you know, detonating points that happen in adulthood. So you that's where the dysfunction comes in. So, you know, somebody says something or, you know, a partner leaves and the person goes crazy or can't cope that's detonating the the unhealed wound um but the issue is that we can't feel what happened that was the whole point of the trauma is that we we disassociated because it was too painful to deal with at the time so most people have can't feel their feelings and they're not actually fully inhabiting their physical body and this is actually why there are there are a lot of body therapies coming through now to help heal trauma um things like somatic experiences, even yoga therapy can be profoundly important. It's getting people's consciousness and awareness back into the body because they've they've run away because it was too painful, and it, through breathing, so conscious breathing, things like yoga bringing conscious awareness back into your body you'll start to connect to um those feelings again in order to release them so you need to spend a lot of time feeling safe in your body doing a lot of safety preparation work and then when the feelings come back you you know how to handle that and you know you might have some strong feelings come up coming up but they are just emotions and they'll pass through and you need to be felt to be released and that's part of the recovery work from trauma as well Mm. You know, it seems
0: like, uh, and we're going to have to pick up with this on the other side of a break, but it seems like the very disassociation uh, is why the trauma is passed on, is because if we're disassociated from ourselves, we don't realize how much it hurt, and that's just the way we were treated, and therefore it's okay,
1: and we pass it on to our children. If we can't feel the pain in us, we, we will we will give that pain to other people, because we're unconscious of how much damage that is to the other person, because we can't feel our own feelings. That's exactly right.
0: Wow. Uh, Wow. Very intense. So it's, it's like, you know, we, we parent like we were parented, and if we think it was okay, we're going to do it because we think it's okay. And on it goes, generation after generation after generation. <laughs> on the other side of this quick break we're going to have to take, we're going to pick up on what can we do about it? How can we change it? We do have the power, I'm sure of it. But we do need to take a quick break. Nikki and I will be back shortly, so don't get dare go away. Visit our blog to ask questions and share your thoughts as we continue co-creating new solutions in a changing world at our website, thescienceofmagic.net. While you're there, join our email family to be the first to receive our topic-driven episode collections. We are your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. This is The Science of Magic with Guilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net.
4: WilliamSPeckham.com
0: Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Do you have a curiosity? I always love to hear from my listeners. Email me at info at the of and suggest a topic or a guess that's on your mind. I'm sure we'll all enjoy them. Our guest this hour is Nikki Graytricks, the author of Seven Steps to Healing Childhood Emotional Trauma, her website, NikkiGraytricks.com. Nikki, you know, we, we, we've pointed out that shamanism um, is an ancient form that has been working at this level since forever. However, there's no longer a reliable shaman on every corner. So what, what are we going to do here? How, what, what, what are the
1: answers to these problems we've outlined for the past three segments? Yes, yeah, so as I alluded to, I think to recover from from emotional trauma, you need this multifactorial approach. So there are, you know, at the energetic level, there are techniques out there that work at this level to help clear the trauma. So I think even some of the energy psychology techniques that are coming through, uh, you know, they're working at the energy field. So we have um, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. That is actually working at an energy level, um, even though it's it's performed by sort of ma- uh, more mainstream co- um, psychologists. So this is definitely has been found, you know, science behind it to show that it's effective and tends to be better for discrete incidents, um, so single discrete inf- incidents that you can remember. Um, even things like the emotional freedom technique, <laughs> excuse me, those kinds of things will uh, also work at that level. And I mentioned matrix re-imprinting which is directly kind of it's i guess a modern day version of uh, some some of the things that were going on at the shaman level um there's also you know working at the energetic level in, in terms of uh, pulling the trauma out and the fear response that's stored in the nervous system acupuncture definitely works at that level too it's it's another sort of place to start too, um but then we need this this, to address the other levels because it's not just at the energetic level the nervous system which very closely interacts at the energy level has been imprinted as well and as i mentioned this is where kind of body work comes in so you know people who've been traumatized and this this may have expressed in your life as bad relationships or it could be a physical illness for example or just emotional difficulties you know moods swings anxiety depression this kind of thing the nervous system the brain have also changed too and they need modulating so there's so many things you can do to help that too as i mentioned physical it therapies yoga you know traumatized people often can't feel their bodies they not, they don't have good balance that um they often kind of um can't feel into their physical body and so regular sort of doing a daily exercise of that can be profound anything which stimulates the vagus nerve the vagus nerve is an extraordinary nerve in the body it it is the the connection point between the mind and the body when we have a good functioning vagus nerve it's anti-inflammatory we digest better it has profound physiological impacts but we also, with a high vagal tone, we, have, we feel good. It's the positive emotional joy state. And that's exactly where the mind-body connects. So anything which stimulates the vagus nerve will help modulate the brain and reset the nervous system out of this trauma response. Breathing, yoga, tai chi, qigong, singing, humming, uh, exercise, these are all things that trigger the vagus nerve positive social relations this bizarrely there's even some things you can take biochemical things you can do like fish oil supplementation actually stimulates the vagus nerve pretty amazing so there's actually many many different ways that you can also do that stimulate the vagus nerve and help modulate the brain um, there are actually I, I think it's very important as well I'll just throw this in there that just pure, purely physical approaches diet can be a very important part of this um, you know when we have stress from a young age it resets the, the glucocorticoid receptors in the brain it changes the epigenetic expression of the neuroendocrine immune system it changes the digestion. So those interventions, naturopathic interventions to correct leaky gut, to correct gut dysbiosis, to to rebalance the hormones, maybe to have thyroid check. Do, I do recommend people do intervene at those levels as well to correct at the physical level, because um, this is the, the sort of all, that's a true holistic approach, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. So are there markers or different kinds of trauma that we can predict what physical illness is likely to break out based on the type of trauma?
1: That's that's That would be very cutting edge, um, you, with it's, it's just started to come through in the research. I, there's, there's a brilliant book called When the Body Says No by Dr. Gabor Mate. You may know that book where he goes through a lot of different types of physical illnesses and looks at the psychology uh, of, the, of each of those types of people that tend to express certain Disease states, um, you know. Certainly, I see that. That uh, yes, the answer is yes. Um, it's an ongoing area of research. So, for example, you see in chronic fatigue syndrome and burnout, there are certain personality types. It tends to be perfectionists, achievers, and also the overgivers are all prone to those types of illnesses. That's backed up in the literature and the scientific literature. Fibromyalgia is often where there's a lot of um, unresolved anger and uh, emotional trauma, often from a highly sensitive type that's not being expressed and actually changes the way that pain is perceived in the body, for example. Mm-hmm. so okay. yes there's there's there needs to be books written about this and yes there will they'll that is definitely unfolding but dr marty uh, gabor Marto's book is a, a good place to start if that's interesting to you and you want to kind of dig in what's the profile of parkinson's what's the profile of cancer uh and so on it's very interesting so you said something interesting um you said a whole bunch of stuff interesting but <laughs> what i'd like
0: to track now is so We we think we have personalities. Are our personalities
1: just a reflection of our damage? Exactly, brilliant question. So this often what happens in childhood. Essentially, when we don't get that emotional love that is unconditional, and we don't properly bond and and sort of uh, bond with our parents all the way up to it can be up to the age of eighteen. We will have survival mechanisms to deal with that. And it's too much to accept that maybe, oh, my goodness, the parent was dysfunctional and, you know, it's their fault. We don't do that as children. We normally internalize it to some degree. And how we choose to respond to that, essentially that that unconditional love wasn't there. We have a self-love deficit disorder right there. And we have to compensate for it. And so when we don't feel enough exactly as we are, we have to make up for it by, for example, becoming an achiever. So we become a super achiever and we think we can earn love through doing this. Someone else has to do everything right. If I just do this perfectly, I will have, I'll get the love I I should, I deserve. So you become a perfectionist. Another type is the giver. there's um, Alice Miller's now notorious book, um, The Drama of the Gifted Child, and it's about how the caring profession is full of therapists that are actually had attachment trauma, and they learned to survive that by learning, if I give love and I uh, am focused on the other person, I seem to get a response, I seem to get love back, but of course it's completely conditional. And in all of those cases, what happens is one way or the other. They become a type of addiction because when we stop doing those things, we feel the void within that we're running away from. And, so it that this kind of behavior it's driven by deep-seated belief or feeling of not feeling loved as you are and then it's this unconscious pattern which drives this, the behavior and that's how people burn out it's how people don't do enough self-care end up giving themselves away over giving chronically to others and that's a huge stress on the body and eventually you're going to develop some illness or other usually it's just where's your genetic weak uh, link in the chain and you know somebody will go on and get digestive disorders someone else might get alzheimer's someone else they have the genes for chronic fatigue syndrome if that makes sense so that's it's critical this is this is critical this is where chronic complex illness starts it starts right when did we have a sense of feeling good enough in the world exactly as we are and when we don't get that we usually make up for it and by the way this is where all addiction comes from as well so if you have high levels of aces if you have four aces for example you're seven times more likely to engage it um become a binge drinker 11 times more likely to use injection drugs more than three times as likely to um, engage in risky sexual behavior it looks like all of this extreme those are very destructive health patterns obviously would directly lead to health conditions but it's driven by this emotional pain and it's it's felt in the body so they're trying to the addiction is about numbing to that emotional pain and the emotional pain comes from the trauma in childhood which is never addressed so this is not just by addiction is not just by chemical it's at the energetic and emotional level and that's wow. what the the aces study is also flagging that so and addiction is it can manifest in workaholism we can be addicted to foods we don't feel the love inside so we seek the sugar we seek the high carbs to all, all that we're trying to do is change our feeling the feeling so we, of what it's like in our
0: body we have about one minute left <laughs> what would you recommend to people how can they tell if this is what they're dealing with and what would be the first step for them
1: I would all that start, in one minute. <laughs> yeah. Start the exploration process. So it's all about knowing thyself ultimately. And, you know, if you suspect that you've got something going on in your life and it could have come from something in childhood, start by acknowledging that and exploring it. Maybe even speaking to parents about, you know, you'd be amazed about what you find out when you ask what, especially what was going on in your life in your early years and things your parents never shared with you. If there are events that you know you have, you know you have trauma, have you talked to somebody about it ever? Many people have never done that. It needs to be a non judgmental, um, sort of a trustworthy person. Start journaling. Um, and also, if there's if, if there was a lot of trauma and it was early, if it's a lot and it's intense and it was early, I would go and seek a professional. Um, well, who Nikki, is, I'm yeah, so of It's amazing. Yeah. We could go on for two more hours
0: <laughs> and we'll have to do that someday. But I'm afraid our time has come to a close. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Our guest this hour has been Nikki Greatrix, the author of Seven Steps to Healing Childhood Emotional Trauma, an award-winning nutritionist, therapist, biogenic, and psychology practitioner. Her website is NikkiGreatrix.com. Remember to join our email family to stay abreast of all the exciting new things we have coming up at thescienceofmagic.net. This has been The Science of Magic with Wilda Wiecka. Our executive producer is Rob McConnell. And we're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and covered with love on your sacred path to wholeness. Searching